TCIA is excited to announce that registration for the first ever TCIA Virtual Summit is now open. This new TCIA signature event gives you access to education, exhibits, and engagement brought to you from a completely virtual platform. The TCI Virtual Summit 2021 can be accessed from any computer or tablet. Join us from Wednesday, January 13th to Friday, January 15th, 2021 to hear the best speakers in the industry engage with other arborists and tree care professionals. By registering for the TCI Virtual Summit, you will not only have access to the live event, but you will have access to the entire platform for 90 days after the event ends. To learn more about TCI Virtual Summit and how to register, visit us at summit.tcia.org. Steel is sponsoring 200 students to attend TCI Virtual Summit. This Steel scholarship is available to college students currently enrolled in arboriculture or another related program. These students will experience all the features our summit has to offer, but for free. To learn more about the Steel Student Scholarship, visit us at summit.tcia.org. Our sponsor for this episode is Steel Inc. We would like to thank Steel for making this episode with Mark Chisholm possible, as well as being a partner in education with us on various programs such as the Gear Up program and the Steel Student Scholarship. The tree care industry has stories and knowledge just waiting to be explored. We'll have a variety of expert guests and innovators from all corners of the industry sharing their stories and extensive knowledge on our show. On this episode of the TCIA podcast, we sit down with Mark Chisholm and Amy Tatro to discuss careers in arboriculture. Mark is a third-generation certified arborist with his family-owned Aspen Tree Expert Company in New Jersey. His expertise in tree care has made him a sought-after consultant and industry spokesperson for the world of arboriculture, and he regularly travels the globe to consult with international arborists, associations, and conducts educational sessions nationwide on behalf of Steel Inc. Additionally, he has won the International Society of Arboriculture New Jersey Chapter Tree Climbing Competition 21 of the last 22 years and won the ISA International Tree Climbing Championship in 1997, 2001, and in 2010. Let's just jump right in because I know that you're actually out in the field right now, aren't you? Actually, I'm sitting in my truck. We just finished up for the day. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm fresh, fresh, still coated with a little bit of sawdust. What were you out there doing today? We were working on a project in an urban area in New Jersey, uh, this place called Carteret, which is kind of far for us typically, but it was for a client of ours that um, we just can't say no to. And it was, uh, they're doing a reconstruction of a park. So we were basically doing a lot of removals around a, um, a kind of an established park, and they're going to do a replanting and all. That sounds awesome. Yep. Sad to see some of the trees go, but you know what? As I gotten older and do this more and more often, and when you know the backstory and what's going on, it's actually kind of a nice thing to be a part of. And when people come up and they start saying, oh, you're, you're taking down the trees. My kids like to play here. And, and but you know why you're doing it. And you just it, it's kind of nice in two ways. One is obviously you, you can see what's going to happen in the future and kind of see what the park's going to look like. And it's going to be better than it is today. But the other part is I'm kind of refreshed when I see people mad that we're taking trees down i I like that you know call me weird but it's nice that they appreciate the trees and they don't want to see them go that's such a good perspective you know people don't really realize what they have until it's gone and i think that's a really great example of that yeah and uh the one thing we did is we uh 
when people come out and they, they show that they're frustrated and, and all that, we just say, you know, there is a plan to reestablish nice trees. You got to be a little patient, but take a look at what this tree looked like on the interior because their kids are playing under it. And you say, wow, there's only an inch of holding wood all the way around it. And then they start to realize like, just because it's green and has leaves doesn't mean it's not a threat. Oh, that's really interesting. Using it sort of as a learning experience for those of us not sort of in the know. That's right. You know, I mean, I think we all got to do that in the industry. It's just the more, the more times we get an opportunity to do that, the better the industry becomes. Absolutely. And let, let's dive a little bit into the industry because I know Joe and I have a lot of questions that we, we wanted to kind of touch on with you. Can you right. tell us a little bit more about how you sort of got your start in the tree care industry? I know that you're a third generation arborist. Um, and I know that you yeah. have, a, obviously, a family company. But can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, um, it's exactly what you said. Uh, it's a family business, um, third generation arborist. My father started our business, Aspen Tree Expert Company, here in New Jersey back in 1976. And I was obviously too young. Well, not obvious to everybody, but <laughs> I was like uh, five five years old or, or when, it, when he established it. So, um but I grew up around that. I mean, anybody who's in the tree business, who started their own business probably understands like it usually starts and functions out of your house. Your family's always around it and they know more than you think they know. And, you know, I think that was the, what, what kind of kicked me and my brother off because he works in the family business with me as well. And, um, you know, we grew up being around it everyone we knew like family members were part of the company at the time that's how you usually get your start you reach out to people you know um who want to work and they're they, and you, you just all of a sudden you kind of recruit everybody who's looking to lend a hand to the family uh the family goal there and um i really got my first real start in the business when i was pretty young i think i was about 12 years old and my brother had already been working for the company he was two years older and you know, I just saw those guys, the group, him and like my godfather, uh, a couple uncles coming in on a Saturday and seeing how like, like how much fun they were having, how they interacted as a group, the kind of camaraderie, the stories they told. And I could see the pride in my father's face when he told talked about how my brother did good that day and, you know, worked like a, like a, like an adult pretty much. And so it made me want to be a part of it. And, um, so I, I jumped in, you know, wholeheartedly as soon as they gave me my chance. And, and uh, for the most part, I haven't looked back since. It's been all about tree work ever since. That's awesome. So it sounds like you've just been right in it from the jump. Um, I think for many of us, when we're starting um, our profession, we bounce around a little bit. And there's that moment where something really like clicks that we realize that this yep. was the right career choice for us. Did you ever have a moment like that or has it kind of always been full throttle since you were 12 years old? Um, no, I, I definitely had some times where I thought about um, my career choice and if it was right for me, I, you know, you, I think everybody kind of does that little bit of soul searching at some point in their career, even if they feel good about what they're doing. But I got really interested in tree climbing as, as some people probably know. Um, <laughs> and Right about when I got, I mean, I started climbing at a very young age. I was, I was doing simple tasks, putting ropes in trees and pruning with a handsaw when I was 13 years old with a rope and harness. And that's how I got my start. And it just moved on from there. Um, but I really kind of, uh, 
was attached to that that whole climbing thing. I loved the physicality. I loved the challenges. I loved that I was learning like every day something was being taught to me or even my actions were teaching me something or the tree was teaching me something. But I did get to a point in life out of just leaving high school, as many people do, and you contemplate like this is a this is a time where you either um, – you either, you know, go on with what you're doing, you look down another career path, or you take a break from something like, and, and uh, like a gap year, for example, as some people like to do now. And for me, I, um, I said, I'm going to go to college. So I went to, um, I went to college for a two year degree, local community college. And a lot of, a couple of my teachers in particular were saying that I'd be good at, you should look into this. And it kind of got in my head. And all I did really personally is just say to myself, you know, I really like what I do. Um, but am I taking the easy way out because it's right here in front of me? Is there something that's out there that I should be trying to do that maybe I'll get more fulfillment from? And, you know, all the, the normal questions people ask themselves as far as I can tell. And, so I did do the two-year degree, and when it came down to signing up to go through with my four-year, I, I uh, transferred into Rutgers University and was going to go into the, to actually into science and medicine because um, I was really drawn into the science aspect. So anatomy and physiology was probably my favorite course in community college and high school. So I was going to pursue that. And I signed up and I got my, my curriculum and it was all stuff. I really didn't, it didn't give me a good feel of like, like I was on the right path. And at the same time, I got very involved in the international tree climbing championship and the local championship just before that. And I started to see a bigger picture. And I think that's what I didn't see at the time, maybe that when I realized like how big the industry is and what other people are going through and how much I could learn and advance myself and, um, and the enjoyment of being part of such a big community. It didn't hit me until I, until I started going to, to a couple of events like the TCI expo and going into uh, the, the ITCC and then going to the ISA conference as well. That's when it started exposing me to the greater kind of feel of what tree care really is. That's, that's really awesome. That's really cool. Especially um, what you were saying about community. It sounds like that community was a huge um, pivot moment for you um, as in making this sort of decision that you decided to pursue um, as far as ITCC and, and climbing and all these things. Can you speak a little bit more to, um, I guess, the community of the tree care industry, both back then and maybe now? Yeah. Um, I think it's not much this has really changed in that regard, except Things are evolving differently as far as the tools and the technologies it is advancing probably at a quicker pace than it did then. Some of that is is due to the, the you know the internet and everything being so at your fingertips. And um, but I think back then it's the exact same feel as I get now. Um, I was a young guy, you know, going to my first competition, 18 years old, 19 at the ITCC, going to the expo for the first time. And people I met at the competition, um, I started to see it that next year at who told me you should come to the expo, blah, blah, blah. Um, I went to the expo and I saw them there and, and they treated me like, uh, like I was a longtime friend. And I think that is exactly how everyone feels uh, in the industry. As soon as you really get passionate and get involved, it's like everyone has their arms open and they can't wait to kind of give you a, um, some, something that's going to help you in your career or just make you enjoy what you do. And I, I think there's some people I remember from my first 
time going to these events. There's some climbers in particular I saw at these events, like a gentleman at the time was a champion. He's a world champion, but he was a champion in Pennsylvania. His name was Bob Weber. And he was doing a stand-up demo um, outside of one of the booths there, which you see commonly now. And that was way back when. And he just, he saw me and he grabbed me when I was walking by and pulled me over and didn't let me go by, even though he was in the middle of doing stuff. And I think that's exactly the same thing that you see today. And, and I think it's the reason that, that um, I feel really strongly when I, when I ask people, do you go to Expo? Do you go to this? Do you go to a local, you know, ISA function? Do you see a championship? Do you get involved? And when they say no, I say, listen, you're, you're missing out on some of the best parts of what this industry really is. And I said, and that stuff is you're going to carry with you every day in the field when you're, when you're in the grind of things and you're really um, doing the kind of monotonous work that sometimes you end up doing, that, that's, those are the feelings that to me um, carry you through that and make it so much easier. You know, I think that that's a message that I always try to get out is like get involved. If you're not involved, you're missing out on some of the best parts of what we, what we're all about as an industry. Yeah. I definitely think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I was making my notes here that getting involved um, for everybody is really, really critical, but I especially want to come back to the idea of young people getting involved because I think that that's a really great entree into the industry. Like you said, when you were 18, that was kind of what convinced you apart from, you know, just encouraging folks to jump right in. What other advice would you give both young people and maybe new people new to the industry on how to sort of get into tree care and how to be successful as they're jumping in? Yeah, that's a great question, Amy. Um, I think it's probably the smartest thing for me to say to anybody when you ask a question like this is, number one, make sure you're doing it in the safest fashion possible. I think we all always talk about safety, but what I see is if I think about like family members or people I really care about that are young, like I think about my, like how my dad must have felt when I was 13 and he was bringing me to a job site, how he must have had like all eyes on, on me while he's trying to do his job and making sure everyone knew, like keep an eye on my sons, keep them out of trouble, chaperone them around. Cause I, that's, that's what we all do daily, but there's, it's kind of like a high, higher level of, of alertness. Uh, when it's somebody who you really, really love is like a family member, for example. So um, the first thing I say is make sure whoever you're learning from and when you're on the job site, you're, you're working with a company that demands safety, doesn't just talk about it and doesn't violate, you know, all the safety rules that you know you shouldn't be violating. So, you know, there's ways obviously you can uh, search out a company before you even become part of one. Um, but that's number one for me. Number two would be, getting involved in the organization side of things, you know, trying to become good at what you do in the industry means you have to be kind of tuned in in on a lot of different ways. So you have, uh, you have the job site thing, like a lot of us learn on the job, which is great, but if you're not on the right job site with the right people, you're limited. And that's, that's the kind of safety risk as well. As I just mentioned beyond that, you don't have to be limited to just that group you're around. You know, you can also go out outside of that. There's a lot of places on the Internet, you know, uh, TCIA website. Um, my website, TreeBuzz.com, is all about education and part of the community experience. And then there's also just social media in general. When you find the right people to follow and, and interact with, it's a big help. It'll speed things up for you as well. But you have to be careful there, of course, too. It's hard to pre-qualify someone 
online or in a social media front uh, before you actually can trust what they're teaching or telling you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that that's can be a challenging thing for all of us where you, you know, you think it's one thing and then maybe it's something completely different. I think that speaks back to your idea of when you're on the job site about paying attention and doing your homework and doing your due diligence. And I think it's sort of the same with social media, where if you're getting into the industry, do your due diligence and, and see who you're following and who you're connecting with and where you're getting involved. I think that's really exactly. great advice. Um, yep. and I think there's, there's also a kind of a, a thing about the industry where some people feel like they're not being authentic or, or tough or, you know, like old school uh, mentality of, of tree care if you're not taking risk, you know, and that's not, that's not what I'm about. Like I always tell everybody, like there's, there's no way you can tell me that you're going to be faster on a job site just because you take more risk than someone who can follow the, all the safety protocols like I do like daily. And one of the questions people ask me a ton is being in the street, in the industry as long as I have and being dedicated as long as I have and, and being competitive for as long as I have. And how do you do that and not sustain debilitating injuries? How do you stay safe? How do you be successful and not cause a lot of, you know, um, damage as an arborist? And I tell them the same thing. Like I follow safety protocols. You know, I don't just like talk about it. I actually do it. And I always am trying to learn to, to actually adjust and as soon as you incorporate this stuff into your daily work habits, you're just as fast as you ever were without them, you know, because I can tell you from experience, when I first started tree climbing, the rules were different. Like the, the tree climbing championship, people are floored when they find out, like when I was a kid, you could footlock without any means of attachment. You couldn't, you don't have to have a prusik. You just had to do an online <laughs> rest, you know? And when, when you did a body thrust, which was, which is now obviously a different ascent event, but at the time was a body thrust event. You had someone on the ground just holding your rope as your belay. And if they didn't hold on good here and you slipped, oh. I mean, there was, there was no backup plan. And, but again, these were like, like the way things were at the time, because it is an evolving industry. We're still revising rules and safety um, regulations as we speak, as you know. Um, but there's things were a lot different back then. And what I can tell you is, I'm sitting here today, and if you ask the guys I have worked with and work with today, am I more productive today than I was when I was 20 or, or less? They're going to tell you. I, I 100% believe. They're going to tell you I'm more productive now on a job site than I was when I was 20, and I definitely work at a, a safer um, pace as well. That's huge. I love that message um, for everybody. I, safety, working smart, and slow and steady. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel like take your time and do it right. Yeah, well, there's a there's a limit to, you know, what each person is is able to do, you know, and process and function at what pace to be on a, on a certain level of safety. And I always tell everybody, I said, whatever that level of safety is, that line, if you want to call it, you just have to maintain it. When you cross it, you start to put yourself at risk and other people at risk, you know. So you can't push. I always say, yeah, absolutely. If you're learning, you're going to want to push yourself, but you don't do them in a high risk like scenarios or the high risk time frame. So I, I kind of say like this, when you're making a, a critical cut, you take your time. When you're moving from one place to the next, sure, challenge yourself to climb faster. As long as you're secured and there's no risk to you really, why not improve how fast you can move? What you can do to, to limit downtime between like, uh, a, like say in a rigging operation, how can you get ready for your next cut before they're ready for you? 
things like that will get you to become more productive and, and effective at your job without taking more risks. Yeah, that's a really good delineation. Thank you for sort of clarifying that. I guess sort of along those same lines, in what you were saying, it sounds like you've learned a lot over your years in the industry and, and you work, you know, a little bit differently than you did um, back then because of your experience. What advice would you give other folks who are sort of maybe in the industry um, for a little bit, but are looking to do more, you know, potentially looking to advance their career? What advice would you give to those folks looking to, quote unquote, climb the ladder for their career? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, there's a, there's that that whole saying that, you know, good is the uh, kind of the killer of great, if you will. And mm-hmm. all it really means is when you get good at what you do, you stop kind of looking on like improvements because you think maybe I'm I'm at the pinnacle because I'm the best climber in my company or I'm the best climber at my local championship and so on and so forth. And I tell people like straight up when they ask me competition wise, like, how did you stay competitive? You know, I hate talking about it with numbers because it makes it sound like, like I'm bragging or tooting my own horn, but to make the impact that I'm trying to make, I was in the top 10 at the world championships for, you know, for 20 years. That's, and the reason I'm, I think that I was consistent is because a, I was passionate and I treated it like the level event that it is, which is a world championship event. But part two of that for me is I think I was always saying that I had to improve in order to stay as good as the people around me. And if I didn't learn from them and try to adapt to what everyone around me was doing, I was not going to be as good as them or as good as I could be per se. So it was kind of like a feeling of never being satisfied with being just good. And I can tell you, 100% the way I feel about my history and in, in just in the championship alone, forget about everyday tree care, because it really is the same thing to me, but um, easier to see. My won my first world championship. I was way worse of a climber than when I won my second and not even as good as I was when I won my third. So there's a progression and you can be the best at, at that time. But if you don't adapt and learn and challenge yourself, you're not going to be the best for very long. I think that was the message that took it, took me to another level in my career in that I was good, maybe the best on my crew, but I wasn't the best at the company. Then I became the best at the company, but I wasn't satisfied because I knew people better than me doing tree work elsewhere. And I learned from them and I would adapt techniques. I'd create new uh, systems for myself, find my own strengths, and then, you know, uh, use them to try to catapult myself better and better, just like a lot of people around me did. I think that's what we have to do. Too many people are really good at what they do and they get that good and then they don't think they need to learn anymore. They don't have to come to an event. They don't have to go to, you know, a trade show. They don't have to take a class. I don't need that credential, but I think they're really missing out on how good they really can be. Yeah, that sort of unlimited possibility. That's awesome. So I guess sort of speaking of your history and your successes and and everywhere that you've come from, if you could change one thing from your past, one, would you? And two, what would it be? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh, in hindsight, there's a lot of things you definitely could do better, you know, but for, you know, just again, tying it into, I don't know, forget about other things in life, just to keep it simple. We'll talk about like in the tree climbing championship, you know, all those years I competed. Yeah, I was I was top five, top 10, countless times, second place a number of times. And if I changed one part of a certain climb or a different decision that day, I'd have more championships. But in all honesty, 
I don't sit here feeling like I need to make those changes. I think, I think part of what I've learned in life, and this is not groundbreaking to anybody because I've, I've heard numerous people talk about this, but I feel like the, the times when you get challenged and don't succeed to your fullest and the times when you fail at things are probably um, more of a learning experience and things that are going to help you become better than any wins will. You know, wins don't really teach you a lot about yourself, except maybe give you some confidence to try things uh, and go to another level. But for me, the failures were the most influential in my career, especially in, in like the competition sense, but even on a job site. So to answer it simply, I definitely think there's a lot of things I could have changed, but I don't think I would go back in time and mess with those if I had the opportunity because I sit here feeling like those things did benefit me more than I thought they did at the time when I was disappointed. I look back now and I say they made me who I am and um, they, they keep me kind of feeling like that's, that's part of the, the necessary ingredients to, to get where you're trying to go as well because I'm still not to me, I'm still not where I'm, where I'm ultimately going to be. I think there's a lot of things I've let, uh, haven't uncovered yet. And there's a lot of places I need to still grow. That's so cool to hear for even from somebody like you, that, um, the trajectory of where you're going is just sort of never ending. And I think that that's really great advice, especially for young people. Again, those folks getting into the industry or new to the industry, knowing that they're not alone in making those mistakes or those errors that we all do. And as long as you use that as a learning experience and not sort of dwell on it, that that's what is going to help you in your growth and in your um, development in your career in this industry. Yeah, for sure. Join us next time on the TCIA podcast as we sit down with Mark Chisholm and talk about careers in arboriculture part two. The TCIA podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. To learn more about the podcast or to listen to previous episodes, visit us at podcast.tcia.org.